0: To Young.
1: Are you ready to truck it? I'm Duner
2: here with. Woo! Are you hey, welcome everybody? <laughs> what was up <that> with that, <laughs> Sorry, man? You, you cut out of my ears big time, man. I don't know what the heck happened. Okay, are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner here with. Michael Vincent, the dude. And it is actually a beautiful day here in Chattanooga. A little bit cool, but it's warming up. Heart afraid. Allie, how are you doing today, Duner, man? You ready for a great show? Pretty good.
1: On the remote side, we got to land that. We got to work on that cue. So when I go, are you ready to truck it? I'm Duner here with the dude. We got to have you land right on the, uh, hey, the toilet guy's calling me, by the way. Remember that guy who came on here with the toe with the toilets? The guy with the
2: toilets? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the trucks? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, should I answer What's it? He got? No, I'm not going to answer it. Yeah, I don't know. He's dialing oh, me right on. now. I don't want to talk to him right now. We'll talk it's to him the later. toilet dude. We'll talk to him later. You know, let's talk about a Chattanooga man, Michael Vincent. There's a there's a story. Oh yeah, flush him away, flush him away. Why is he? Call- Stop calling me. He's called me three times in a row. I'll talk to you later, yeah. toilet man. Uh, Michael Vincent, a Chattanooga man. Speaking of people doing. Funny stuff uh he impersonated president barack obama right when he applied for- what is that stop that when he applied for a gun permit uh he
2: was surprised it, it he was surprised it didn't work have you impersonated anybody before uh just myself an older version of myself when i was in high school to get you know buy beer and stuff like that but i mean look at this guy you get the picture up. look look at him uh, i mean is there <laughs> any reason why you wouldn't go after that if you look like i mean he looks just like It made perfect sense. Hey, I need to get something illegally. I need to pretend who I'm going to pretend to be the most recognizable person on the planet. And I obviously look just like him. I can't believe it didn't work. (laughs) I can't believe it didn't work. No, it also isn't working right now.
1: Social media. Can you guys get this up on LinkedIn for us, please? Um, Yeah, I thought Mm. the funniest thing about it was that he put it on. uh, He put it on like official presidential letterhead. Well, I mean, like some letterhead that he scanned. And copied. He was really trying to sell this thing, but I don't think he understood like the fatal flaw in his plan, which is that this is probably not how a former president would go about trying to secure a gun.
2: Yeah, no, we yeah, we talked about this. I mean, what you know, he's got detail. He's got like Delta Force Green Beret, uh, you know, uh, Navy SEALs protecting him for life. That's his that's his uh, his carry permit. They're they're carrying a gun. I mean, what what does he need to carry a gun for? Anyway. Beautiful. We're up. And on- he's not going to the local DMV to get one either.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. He's. Oh, we're up on uh, LinkedIn now too. Just shared the post out. Share it out with your friends. Kevin Hill is on here. He said uh, Brad may call a few more times. Yeah. I. I. I don't. I don't know what he. What he needs. Uh, we'll get to him. We'll get to him later. On today's episode, though, we're talking about the logistics behind the beverage brand Olipop. That's going to be super exciting. The journey towards democratizing truck diagnostics and how long this freight bull market can last. Plus, we'll go inside the newsletter and look at if Biden and and Bezos they're gonna team up on vaccine logistics and the story behind gorilla glue supply chain now you heard about what happened with that girl's hair right but did you care about oh, what yeah. happened with their warehouse management? No, but you're going to find out on this show. (laughs) Well, if you read the What the Truck newsletter, you would. But we have some great guests. We have Ben Goodwin, co founder and CEO of Olipop. We got Tyler Robertson, CEO of Diesel Laptops. And Tom Albrecht, CFO and CRO at Reliance Partners. But first, let's tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Shall we get to the headlines?
2: yeah we should but uh, dude i got a text from brad he says dooner or the dude do you know of a good plumber he's looking for a good plumber dude that's what the toilet guy's looking for
1: i guess i guess so i guess so if he was a true fan of this show he would know that we're live right now maybe that actually maybe that's why he's calling all right (laughs) boom to force his way on air, right? Just trying to, just trying to bash the gates. Uh, shipping stocks. Here we go. You've heard a lot about GameStop and everything, right? Meme stocks. Well, shipping stocks are suddenly revving up across the board. Now we can get involved, right? On our little Robinhood apps. Well, forget about GameStop. Forget about uh, meme stocks. Greg Miller reports tanker spot rates are horrible, right? Rates for gas carriers have fallen off a cliff. Only container shipping is booming, but you wouldn't know that by looking at ocean shipping stocks across every shipping sector. Stocks are up in double digits in February. Uh, Clarkson Plateau security analyst Omar Nakoda, he's during a uh, a Capital Link-sponsored virtual event on Tuesday, he was talking about it. Clarkson, uh, he says, shipping stocks have been on a tear for the past several weeks. We've gotten used to seeing pockets of activity for tankers or pockets for dry bulk, but we
2: haven't seen this type of interest across the board in quite a while. No, they haven't. So why has the broader shipping stock space revved up in February when the rates for most containers market segments have not? One theory, particularly in the wake of the GameStop uh, uh, stock uh, spike (laughs) in late January, if you remember that, is that the retail horde has alighted on the shipping stocks. It happened before in April 2020 when traders on retail platform Robinhood ran up the stock of Nordic American tankers. If it's happening again, this month's price gains could be fleeting, obviously. Evidence of this theory microcap shipping stocks favored by day traders are performing exceptionally well right now, uh, Dooner. So there's some evidence there.
1: You know what's not? To, I don't have any shipping stocks due to my position. I have a lot of tech stocks, though, and I opened Robinhood today, and I'm not going to open it again because everything is in red. And the only thing that's performing well for me is Bitcoin right now. Even Dogecoin is letting me down. Theory number two is that uh, shipping stocks are rising as investors place bets now in preparation for a global economic recovery in the second half of uh, and in 2022, according to this thesis. There is a real demand story behind these stock moves. Yes, there are Robin Hooders and Redditors about people like me. Retail may be leading the charge, but hedge funds are also getting into the fray and larger institutional investors are on the sidelines ready to enter. And you know, that's the same thing that happened with, with GameStop and, and Dogecoin and all these things. You really think Wall Street Bets is driving all this activity? No, what's happening is these other funds are seeing that retail traders are doing this upward push. So if they can see an advantageous position there, that's when they start pouring the big money in.
2: Yeah, that's exa- and then it starts moving because yeah, a couple people throwing five, ten grand and it isn't going to make these things move the way that you're seeing these things move. You're absolutely right. It's the bigger picture.
1: Hey, here's something cool. Gatik is going to deploy powered autonomous vehicles in New Orleans. An interesting testing spot, Brian. Straight reports, and I believe this article is on our new site, Modern Shipper. Check that one out. Autonomous vehicle startup Gatic is already proving its technology can work in middle mile delivery, but now is adding a fully electric vehicle to the mix. The company on Wednesday announced its electrification strategy, which includes the use of fully electric autonomous box trucks. The first vehicles, they're going to hit roadways this month,
2: this month already in New Orleans. Yeah, it is New Orleans. I wonder why New Orleans. That's that is interesting. The vehicles are built on a Ford Transit 350 HD chassis platform and a feature via uh, and they feature via motors, all electric drive technology that the vehicle no, can travel up to 120, 120 strategy, miles, which includes it gets fully charged in less than 1.5
3: hours.
1: Yeah, we have a picture of this truck, too. It looks like they got a lot of cameras and sensory arrays right on the top of it there, some on the front and everything. It's an interesting looking vehicle. In a post on Medium in December, Walmart's Tom Ward, he's the senior vice president of uh, customer product. He said the companies would begin testing the vehicles without a driver in the seat this year. All testing to date, this is why this is significant, has included a driver in the vehicle. Uh, They're based in Palo Alto, California. Gattic closed a $25 million Series A round of funding in November 2020. Uh, the round was co-led by, who are these? Whittington Ventures and Innovative Endeavors. Innovation de- Endeavors, easy for me to say, with participation mm-hmm. from FM Capital and Intact Ventures and existing investors, including Dynamo Ventures. They have, they have a, their hands in a lot of stuff on the freight tech side, uh, Fortinellis for Partners and Angel Pad. So interesting to see. And if you remember on here, we had, what was it? Fetch, Melanie Wines from Fetch Robotics. And she was like, I don't see autonomous trucks for 50 years, but, Yet we're reading these news stories about more and more of them hitting the road, Michael Vincent, even if it's in a testing capacity.
2: Yeah, and I think that's where she's where she was going is outside the testing path. Uh yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because these guys are going inner city with this type of stuff. We've always talked about this. I think the consensus is really that the autonomous vehicle movement is really going to be in the open road, those long spaces are a lot easier to navigate, less things, less interaction with people in those in those uh, uh those spaces where they're where it's very predictable what's gonna happen. Inside ports, uh rail yards, that type of stuff. And that makes total sense, too. I mean, because you got you got to
1: do it. You can't just throw them out on the open road and, and wish for the best, you know, kiss it up. To God.
2: Yeah, but these guys are going downtown New Orleans. You ever driven <sighs> downtown New Orleans?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, they really want to stress test these things. We'll see what happens. Because, you uh, know, yeah, the problem with these things, though, as we've learned, is one accident, right? You you kill one person that can put this whole thing on hold for years. Just ask Uber.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One headline like autonomous vehicle kills driver. Yeah. <laughs> as if as if it was hunting down a pedestrian <laughs> yeah, like Christine or uh, or Maximum they're Roaming overdraw. the streets. They're roaming the streets of New Orleans, killing people. Well, hey, let's bring out uh,
1: Tom Albrecht on He's CFO and CRO at Reliance Partners right here in a very cold Chattanooga. It was 21 degrees when I was walking my dog this morning, Michael Vincent. Tom, I think you're relatively new to this area. Is that correct?
3: I am. I've been here about nine months and it's been great and I've already accomplished one of my 2021 goals of being on the Dooner and Dude Show. So very excited to join you guys this morning.
1: Well, a little cowbell for that. You know, you are also a little inside baseball on you. You are a University of Central Missouri mule. And now people may not know this, but you are not the only notable alumni from there. So is Dale Carnegie, right? The author of How to Win Friends and Influence People. So is Jim Crane, owner of the Astros, and even former WWE stars Chuck Palumbo and Butch Hacksaw-Reed.
2: Interesting collection, folks. You know,
3: when you said Central Missouri, you've said it all.
2: <laughs> as soon as I find the immediate name that came to my mind was Butch Hexar Reed. I mean, I, to be in the same sentence is just—I mean, you've hit a life goal, right? I mean, you've checked another thing in your in your bucket list. Somebody has recognized a- you in the same sentence as Butch Hacksaw Reed.
3: Mm. Uh, absolutely, it's uh, it's a mouthful and it's uh, it's staggering. And I heard your comments on. Uh, the, uh, the toilet guy earlier, I assume that session a while back, was a flushing success. So.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can tell you no the, f- the flavor of this I show. <laughs> I was waiting for the rim shot, Dooner. We didn't get one.
0: Oh, I got
1: one right here. <laughs> there we go. Sorry, I was a little behind. Forgot it was on my board. <laughs> When we switch locations like this, I I lose track of it. But one of the reasons we had you on is you wanted to talk about the freight bull market and you want to compare it a little bit to 2014 and 2018. So let's dive into it. What are the comparisons between the two and maybe how long do you see this thing running for?
3: Well, so a question that we get asked a lot. And and so my career background before joining Reliance Partners, uh, I spent 28 years on Wall Street as a sell-side analyst in transportation. And then I was at Celadon part of the crew that tried to save it. And, uh, you know, that's a different story. But so I still get asked a lot about it, uh, cycles and where we are. And so the question is, is this cycle that we're in, and let's say that it started last July, just for an easy comparison, July 1st of last year, is it going to last longer than the last two, which were disappointingly short? both the 14 and 2018 recoveries were effectively five quarters long. And my easy answer is yes, it's going to last a little bit longer, probably seven or eight quarters and eight quarters versus five is 60% longer, but this is not going to be a multi-year cycle. Um, The last time we had a multi-year cycle was essentially 2003 through 2006 uh, before the housing crisis took over, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So my shorter answer is yes, it will be a little bit longer, but it will not be the multi-year cycle that truckers uh, continue to hope for.
2: Hmm. And, and so what? So what is the difference there, Tom? What What is it there that needs to be? Uh, give us a little history there of 2018 and 2014. What makes those unique? And 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 you know why? Why are they so comparable?
3: Yeah, so 2014, I think the original premise was uh, poor weather in late 2013, uh, also followed by this explosion in e commerce, uh, which really led to a lot of trucks being in the wrong places at the wrong times. And then you'd also had three pretty mellow years of freight growth 11, 12, 13, and effectively there wasn't much pricing power, but pricing wasn't going backwards. And so you ultimately found in late 13 and early 14, between weather and three years of not much activity, that capacity was tight. But pretty quickly fleets added capacity and the cycle was effectively over by uh, March of 2015. Uh, Similar dynamics in 18, although uh, 18 was propelled in part by uh, the Trump tax cuts, which led to a boom in industrial production. In 18, industrial production grew 3.9%, up from 2.3% in 2017. That's a big percentage jump uh, over a 50% increase uh, in the growth rate. Uh, and then once again, truckers went out and overbought. So the question then is what's a little bit different? Well, obviously the pandemic led to an unprecedented shutdown in the US economy. So the bolt Cases, inventories remain uh, very low. Uh, There's going to be some rebound in capital spending and other large dollar expenditures this year uh, when basically spending uh, by corporations was uh, almost paralyzed last year. And then the housing market, both the demand for uh, housing units as well as the pricing, those are three of the uh, bull cases to keep this market humming. The negatives, though, uh, we've seen. Uh, capacity grow uh, in the market, particularly in the second half of 2020. Uh, for the first time in several years, uh, consumers are going to be dealing with rising gas prices. It's not at a painful level yet, but that trend began a week after the 2020 presidential election and is going to have a long way to go. And I think it's going to be one of the second uh, or, uh, top stories in the second half of 2021 that will begin to crimp demand. And then um, a lot of policies coming out of Washington without getting too political are not very pro-growth. And at some point, uh, as we continue this bounce off the bottom from the pandemic, those policies will be a little bit more clear how anti-growth that they are.
1: A couple of months ago, you said, I suggest that capacity growth has perhaps been lagging demand growth, which makes it yep. feel like capacity contraction at Reliance Partners. We've seen significant positive endorsements during the second half of this year, suggesting that fleets are adding trucks as quickly as they can. Is that still what you're seeing? Is that still
3: what you believe? Absolutely. Uh, and in fact, at Reliance Partners, we will be releasing in conjunction with Freight Waves uh, a capacity index uh, later in this quarter. We're still scrubbing the numbers a little bit. Uh, but. Even uh, before we get to that, you know, the used truck market is one of those canaries in the coal mine, and we love to see a healthy used truck market. That bottomed out and began to turn around from both the price and volume perspective in August and September. Let me give you the December numbers. Used truck pricing was up about eleven percent year over year in December, uh, and up six percent sequentially. So from the month of November. Unit sales in December were up 65% uh, and up about 13% uh, sequentially. And the inventory of used equipment declined 18% year over year. And since the recovery, the uh, inventory of used tractors has declined over 30% since uh, August, September. What does that all that mean? That means that truckers are adding capacity. It may not be the Uh, mega fleets, the behemoths that we all recognize on the highway, but when we look at insurance policies and what's happening, we're seeing capacity growth uh, in recent months, and at some point later this year, that capacity growth will match uh, the demand and eventually outpace it probably sometime in the second half of the year. And the first uh, declaration of that, we'll talk about, well, the market is finally normalized, but then the stage will be set for this bull market to be over, in my opinion, by the end of calendar 2021 and set itself up for more uh, difficult comparisons in 2022.
1: Wow. So you mentioned this, this capacity index is coming out soon. That's super exciting. Uh, we have about a, a minute left. What else is exciting is coming up at Reliance Partners and where can people learn more information about all that?
3: ReliancePartners.com. Today, we just made uh, our second acquisition since October. We've got a great solution for shippers doing cross-border business, Mexican cargo insurance. Uh, We bought a company today called Borderless Coverage. Fantastic expertise, uh, essentially proprietary products. We've got it there. Uh, We continue to innovate. That's uh, probably the best thing that's happened at Reliance so far in 2021. Beautiful.
1: Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you back.
3: Love to be here. Uh, My my pleasure. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks. Take it easy. Rachel Jackson in the comments, she says, I would take 21 degrees, negative 16 in Des Moines when I took the dog out. By the way, I think we just answered the question, who let the dogs out? There you go. She got it. (laughs) She <laughs> got a putum test for that one. You know, it's all relative though. My, like you've lived in Ohio, I've have lived in Boston. You get used to the you get used to your climate. You winterize your blood out here. It's usually not twenty one degrees, so it feels a lot colder than uh, You know, even times in Boston when it's like five degrees, just because it's it's a drastic change in temperature.
2: Yeah, no, it, it abs- you're absolutely uh, you're absolutely correct. When I moved down to Miami, it took l- a year and I would not go in a pool if it was under 85 degrees anymore. Coming from Ohio, where if it, you know, hit 50, you were at you were at the beach of Lake Erie. Right. So, yeah, yeah it's all relative.
1: Dude, when it's negative 18, you yeah. when it's negative 18 in Massachusetts, I'm sure it's Ohio, too. There's always some like middle aged dude wearing like shorts to,
2: <laughs> to the grocery store or shoveling. There's just some dudes who they wear no. shorts no matter what. That was me. I I was I was one of those. I was I was one of those guys. But I mean, to her, minus 21 in Des Moines is not like normal climate in Des Moines.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're all experiencing extreme temperature. Hey, you know, you know, it's pretty extreme. Tyler Robertson, CEO of Diesel Laptops. He's calling in at Lexington, South Carolina. Tyler, thank you for joining us on the air today. It's been too long, brother.
4: It has been a long time. And you know what? I grew up in northern Minnesota. So this January, February period where it never gets above uh, like below you know, zero. Don't miss that at all. I'm never moving back north. <laughs> you don't like that lake <laughs> effect weather? No, but, you know, I'm glad this is, like, above the chest here because you don't want to know I'm wearing shorts here probably today at work, right? So that's kind of (laughs) what we roll here at Diesel Laptops. It's a pretty sharp studio you've got there, and you have been building
1: this thing out for a while over at Diesel Laptops. We'll get into your comeback story, but tell me a little bit about this sort of uh, owned media play that you're making for Diesel because that's pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. Hey,
4: taking a lot of influence from you guys at Freight Waves, but, you but know, we do the same thing. So we really want to be out there. It's the new way of marketing. It's not doing magazines and newspaper ads and all the things that people traditionally do in our business. It's about doing webinars, weekly podcast shows, doing live events. We do an annual virtual expo that we do for truck repair every year. So we built this great studio. We're on about episode 50 or so of our podcast that we do every week. We're having a great time and it, it really helps strengthen the brand and separates us from all our competition out there. Cool. All right. So, so, why diesel laptops? Simple as yeah. that. Why? I, I didn't plan for any of this. So, today we have, you know, 180 employees growing fast, even, you know, well into double-digit growth during the pandemic and everything else. One of the fastest growing companies in the country. I didn't plan for any of this. Six years ago, we're coming for our six-year anniversary. I just wanted to hang my own shingle hang out by the pool. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old and the wife that didn't work. I just want to hang out and do walks and and have lunch with them every day and just do that thing. Um, People always ask, like, how'd you plan all this? I didn't plan a single thing of it. I just couldn't help myself as things started taking off and going forward. So at the end of the day, what it's really about is helping people fix their trucks and their off-highway equipment more efficiently. And we do that through diagnostic tools. We do that through repair information, parts information. We have training classes that we do online and hands-on on on how to diagnose things. We have a call center staff with over 40 people uh, and more than half are diesel technicians. So we're kind of that, that hub of everything you need when you're trying to efficiently repair a commercial
1: truck. Now, Tyler, you're one of those people who responded to my comeback story post on LinkedIn talking about people uh, getting a new life over in logistics. And what you wrote is, "I, if I never had failed at my first attempt at college, I would never have been in this industry. It's funny how things work out. Take us through this comeback journey. What what happened in college and where'd you go from there?
4: Yeah, you know, I think it's really fair when you look at college, right? You're 18 years old and people are wanting to make a life decision. And a lot of times those life decisions have all taken on a ton of debt to go figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. And I think I was like a lot, of, a lot of high school graduates. I was just immature and, and just thought I could sail through college like I did through high school. I didn't really apply myself, but I got into a decent school, a really good school. And, uh, you know, two years into it, I, I got kicked out. <laughs> so I went for computer engineering. And apparently when you don't go to class, they end up kicking you out of school uh, because you don't have the grades or take enough courses to get through it. Wow. So what, wow.
1: what, what do you do? What was, what was your, what was your sort of next step in this journey? What happened? You're like, all right, school's not working out. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, my, I was fortunate. My, my dad was helping pay for college. Um, I had to. he don't have that conversation with, with the old man, which nobody wants to have that conversation with their dad. So I had to come home tail tucked between my legs and, uh, you know, my dad, he, he offered me a job and they owned a concrete company and gravel pit operations and they're him and his brothers are business owners. They were expanding. So they bought a Western star truck franchise. So uh, really I was manual labor. They said, hey, we're building a building. We need we need some grunt work. Here's here's a shovel and here's a rake, help us build this building. And I was like, well, I got nothing else going. I got kicked out of college. I got no career path in front of me. I might as well start doing this. So I uh, started working for my working for my dad, just help him build a building. And once the building got, you know, started getting put up, um, kind of more of my skill set came into play because all of a sudden they needed to buy computers and servers and things that a business needs to run. This is the late 90s. Uh, I was going to school for computer engineering. I had a background in computers. Granted, I got kicked out, but I could at least do that kind of stuff. So I kind of got involved in setting up the computers, the network. All of a sudden, then they need uh, someone to help manage their business system because they're inputting parts and doing ordering and all the things that happen inside a truck dealership. And I just kept finding my niche, and you know, I got really excited. And I, I think this industry is one of those things, once you kind of get it in your blood, it's, it's kind of hard to get out of so i was uh, I was with my family, and then uh, my my family learned after a couple years,, uh, they want nothing at all to do with a truck dealership. If there's a hundred ways to lose money, mm-hmm. I joked my dad all the time. We found one hundred one of them. so we we uh, exited the uh, the dealership business. I got offered a job with my family, chose to stay on at the dealership, and uh, I was there for about a year. then they fired me. so that's uh, that's kind of how that went to get started.
2: Wow. So, you, you know, you, you learn a lot of things uh, during the way, and adversity teaches us a lot of things. You know, it's kind of gifts don't always come wrapped in nice, shiny bows and presents, right? These these things that you see as big hurdles and major setbacks are actually quite good at teaching us lessons, and they're blessings along the way. What did you learn along the way that has helped you in your career there in starting and starting and running Diesel Laptops?
4: Yeah. Well, I, I really learned, I love the whole truck dealership world. It was exciting. It was different. You know, the concrete business to sell one product all day long. This was just new, unique, the retail business, uh, very, very great learning experience for me. I got about inventory management and warranty and, and all the processes that go along with dealerships. But then when I got fired after my family had sold it, um, I went and took a job at the local Peterbilt dealer. Cause I was, I was mad, man. I was like, man, I'm going to go get all my customers back and they're going to go buy Peter and, and, you know, forget that guy over there that just fired me. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do my thing here. And that's when I learned another piece about me was I was not cut out to be a commissioned salesperson. So God, I, I love our salespeople that we have and people in that profession that make a ton of money. I made more money than I ever have selling Peter trucks, but you know, having it starting in a, every month on a draw and in a hole, I just, it, it wasn't built for me so that's kind of when I you know, threw my resume on the internet and tried to go tried to go find a new career path uh, and just explore and see what options are out there. But you have to say, right, I've had to fire plenty of people in my time, and I've had plenty quit. And at the end of the day, you always got to look them in the eye and say, look, horrible things have happened to me. I thought they were the worst thing that could happen to me at the time. I had to go home and tell my wife I was fired from a job and talk to my dad when kicked out of school. And in both cases, it forced me to do something different. And in those cases, it always led to something a little bit better in my life and put me on the next career path.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did a TEDx talk about it. You know, me getting fired in 2016 was one of the best things that happened to me. It put me on a journey of sobriety and a journey of doing podcasting, two journeys I still walk to this day. But, you know, talking about firing people is interesting, and it it makes me want to do a slight pivot here. How do you fire people the right way? You kind of touched on it, and you're talking about the empathy you have because you yourself have, have been fired. But what is the right way and what's the wrong way of doing it?
4: Yeah, well, it really sucks. Nobody likes to look someone in the face and say, "Hey, you're you're fired. You've done a you've done a horrible job." Um, but that's the reality of what you have to do as a as a business owner. And I always tell our employees and our managers, if you get to that review point, or you're talking to an employee um, and you're firing them, it shouldn't be coming out of left field. They should have had plenty of opportunity and plenty of notifications. They should be crystal clear on where they're failing in their job and in their commitment to the company. And it shouldn't be a surprise at all. So usually, when you get to those meetings and you have those conversations with people, they're usually not super. Um, they're not usually super surprised that the situation's happening. They may not like it, but at the end of the day, I always got to put on the the what's best for the company hat, not what's best for that person hat. And that's a lot of times difficult for people to do. And you see a lot of people that hold on to employees too long because they're worried about them, that person, their family, whatever the situation is. But unfortunately, you have to do it, and you just got to hope that that person learns something from that experience and can better themselves out of it.
2: Absolutely. Nice, nice, nice answer. So we had you on earlier uh, last year at, when the pandemic first came out and you had hired even once you hired an elementary school to teach the kids during COVID, right? At 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 your offices there. How did that work out for you? I thought that was one of the coolest things there to give them that ability to bring their, their kids there. How did that work out for you guys?
4: It, it's worked out really well. She's still here. Miss Ginger, we call her. So <laughs> she's here. Um, and obviously the school year has gone exactly like we thought it would. There's been points where, hey, we're in school four days a week. Nope, let's cut them all back and bring them home. And let's do a hybrid thing. And it zigs and zags all the time. And we knew it would play out that way. Um, so it's been it's been great. But now cases are falling off a cliff everywhere. They're opening up schools more. I think we only have one or two students in there now. Some days you have more, some days you have less. So it's definitely gone both ways. But for us at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really glad we did it. It took a lot of pressure and stress off a lot of the families that uh, that work here. I mean, I got some people, their husband and their wife, they, they both work here for the company and their kids both go to school. So how is that going to work if we didn't do things like this? So I think it relieved a lot of stress and gave parents another option for their kids and another avenue. So at the end of the day, great thing we did. It's still going good. We still do the weekly COVID testing for all the employees as well. So we've had no cases of community spread inside diesel laptops, even having an elementary school inside of our building.
1: Now, that's awesome, wow. Tyler. And before we let you go, I got to ask you one stupid question. Now, you know a little bit about trucks, you know a little bit about repairs a lot of cold weather going across the country so my stupid question is this you're in the middle of nowhere and break down would you rather it be in a desert or in the frozen tundra where do you think you have a better chance of survival
4: oh man that's a tough one. It, oh boy let's see i would say i would still say the desert i mean i cold weather that'll that'll get you quick right you got nothing it's 30 below wind chill. You're just, you're in trouble in a quick amount of time. Desert, I'd feel at least you have a little bit of time. You can find some shade. You can uh, stay out of the sun. You'd be okay longer and give you a lot of, little bit longer opportunity to survive. So I, that's why I'd go with that answer.
1: Well, Tyler, thank you, sir. You would die. It is the, the true answer is cold because you could melt some of the snow and drink water. In the desert, you'll probably die <laughs> within a few hours. But it was a noble effort, Tyler. Tyler, where do people go to learn more about diesel laptops?
4: Yeah, decentlaptops.com. I'm obviously on LinkedIn all the time as well. Just look for Tyler Robertson. You, I'm sure you'll find me on there. Thank you again for having me on the show. Thanks, man. We always appreciate your time. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> hey, Wayne, how about you? Wayne, you're out there driving a truck.
1: Can you lend your expertise to that question? Where do you think you'd have a better chance of survival? Those in the comments, too. Some of the people in the comments are also talking about getting fired. When Dustin C says, they usually say, you're full, 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 full fired. My response is, that's a good one. I already quit. Um, <laughs> but you guys in the comments, if you were to a breakdown, especially you, Wayne, if you were to a breakdown, where is your better chance of survival? Is it in extreme cold or extreme heat Let us know. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regionals' premier freight transportation company. Learn more at Them Dude. NewLegendInc.com. Go there directly after this show. Beautiful. Well, now we're going to be talking to Ben Goodwin. He's the co-founder and CEO of Alipop. He's out of beautiful Santa Cruz California. This is a company that I met by talking about Tab in a Business Insider interview. <laughs> Their other co-founder, Dave Lester, he was like, hey, I read this article and then I found you on LinkedIn. And I want to send you a case of Olipop. It came here. It was delicious. I loved it. The kids loved it. My wife loved it. It was great stuff. So I said I had to reach out to you guys. And um, they hooked me up with you, Ben. So this is even the networking just keeps expanding. What a great Tab interview I had <laughs> with BI.
0: Yeah, thanks so much <laughs> for having me on. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure. And, uh, I am, yeah, I'm literally calling from a forest and a sunbeam at the moment. So (laughs) (laughs) it's the Santa Cruz reality is very much in in effect. It's a good question. I I don't actually drive a truck, but I completely agree with the breaking down in snow. Mm. Uh, I carry a, a big thermal blanket and jacket in my trunk and, uh, some extra water. And if you could melt water, I think you'd be good to go. Yeah, you'd (laughs) you'd have
1: a longer chance of survival, (laughs) at least, maybe.
0: Because you still have the truck as well. So
1: you'd have the blanket and the
0: truck for shelter. Yeah, you're keeping yourself warm. You huddle up. I mean, you might be harder to see. That would be a, a negative, but access to water is gonna keep you alive a lot longer. Sorry, I just had to bitch
2: in. I thought it was an interesting <laughs> question.
1: No, we appreciate it. No, so you're with, with Olipop and I kind of uh, I kind of mentioned it, but it's a really interesting beverage. It's a low calorie beverage that uses what? Probiotics or prebiotics and plant fiber. Tell us a little bit about what Olipop is before we go into like the why and all the nuances.
0: Yeah totally. I mean Olipop is a it's basically it's we're calling it a, a new type of soda. So it's a, a healthy digestive Uh, friendly, focused, low-calorie, low-sugar soda that contains fiber, prebiotics, and botanical extracts to basically assist with people's digestive and microbiome health. Um, So, you know, I grew up eating standard American diet that included plenty of soda when I I was a kid. Uh, That didn't didn't work out super well for me. I I grew up actually pretty overweight, and I got into nutrition at a young age. Uh, And as I went through that process, I was like, wow, you know, the impact of nutrition on how I feel and how I think and my quality of life is pretty uh, substantial, but you know, there's quite a big nutritional ha- uh, gap for a lot of people to get over when they're trying to figure out how to start approaching healthier choices. Um, and so just over the years as a product developer and as a, as a beverage entrepreneur, I've been looking for meaningful solutions that help kind of make uh, that transition towards something healthier easier for people. Uh, and and really, soda is kind of the like most delicious thing that's out there in a beverage format. It's also got ninety percent household penetration, so it really seemed like the optimal vehicle to put a healthy beverage inside of, and and that's what we did.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent uh, an, an excellent story. And when I'm reading through there and and reading on your on your website about what about the the, the prebiotics and the plant fiber, et cetera, it, it goes into uh, almost a. a I don't know if it's a Zen Buddhist type of feel to it, but is is there something behind that there that I was starting to pick up that kind of vibe about uh, really being in tune with nature and feeding those organisms within yourself and getting yourself, you know, we we're all part of the vibration of Earth and that type of thing. Is there something to that, or is am I am I just am I reading into that? Too?
0: I mean, there aren't. uh, We actually just hired uh, a woman who identifies as Zen Buddhist, but
2: I don't know. There you go. I felt the vibe. I felt the vibe.
0: Yeah, I don't know if they we're particularly Buddhist, uh, but, you know, I, it, it's ironic that you say that because I actually I did have the idea for the, you know, my business partner and I, David Lester, uh, did have a beverage company before, which we sold in, in late 2016. And I actually did have the idea for Olipop on a trip to Japan, which I took to kind of recharge and, and refresh after the prior venture. So there's an aspect of that. But, you know, like the... The piece that you're kind of talking about, I mean, there's basically like, not to go overly deep into it, but there's there's kind of two types of um, medicine, right? There's allopathic, which is kind of the Western medical model, which is intervention and and pharmaceuticals and surgery. And there's a lot of validity to that. And, and when people need it, they need it. But then there's also uh, what's called uh, naturopathic medicine. And naturopathic medicine is kind of based around this tenet that if you take proper care of a natural healthy system, it will function more optimally and therefore, hypothetically, you know, require you to use less allopathic medicine to track down uh, or kind of intervene on different kind of medical issues you're having. So, you know, most Americans, uh, most kind of industrialized consumers all over the world don't get adequate amounts of certain key nutrients to optimally support their microbiome and their digestive health. And I can define microbiome if some of your listeners aren't familiar with what that term means. Uh, And really, the goal with Olipop was to track down what are those different kind of key ingredients that we as Americans are missing that would optimally support our digestive and microbiome health. Um, And so there is this kind of, yeah, it's a a medical concept called kind of like terrain or ecosystem management. And it it just deals with you know, if we if we sort out our body properly, if we give it what it really needs uh, to optimally function, then you know, hopefully, we'll have kind of less uh, emergency and, and medical emergencies
1: you know, my wife was trying to force uh, kombucha on me for a while. Right. And I was okay. Sure. Like at first yeah. when I open up, I'm okay with it. And then I get to the bottom of the drink and that loogie, like that, that loogie, that cultural loot, that cultural loogie they have at the bottom of that thing, it got in my mouth and like it ruined kombucha forever. I can't have kombucha anymore. Um, what, so how do the, how do the prebiotics work? And is that similar to like kombucha? Is it, is it kind of the same kind of marketing and everything that it helps with that? It aids in the digestion. What's going on in your belly?
0: yeah, totally. So kombucha is a fermented tea drink that kind of it doesn't actually naturally contain probiotics. Like there's an actual specific legal definition around probiotics and kombucha is technically not probiotic, but it's a similar type of concept, which is that there's beneficial microorganisms which are supposedly going in and helping the other microorganisms and beneficial microorganisms that live in your microbiome. And I might as well just like define microbiome quickly for your listeners. So the micro your microbiome is basically all of the non-human microorganisms that live in and on your body, and they actually non-human microorganisms, so it's like bacteria and yeast and stuff like that. Actually, outnumber human cells at a ratio of about three to one, uh, and they uh, disproportionately live in your digestive tract. And they for, they basically break down all the food that you eat, uh, help you digest it, and then they they actually ferment uh, a bunch of these different what's called metabolites. Uh, which are the kind of precursors for all sorts of other different things in your body. So your neurotransmitters, which function, you know, help your brain function, uh, your hormones, which help your endocrine and your your genetic sequencing uh, occur, different uh, kind of um, polysaccharides that help with your immune system. Basically, the microbiome has this pretty substantial knock-on effect systemically to the rest of your body. Um, So that's what the microbiome is. That's why it's important. And then there's a range of different ways to kind of benefit it. So one, one hypothetical way is with kind of fermented foods and probiotics, although some of the science around probiotics hasn't really been panning out as much lately as maybe we thought five, 10 years ago it would. And then the other kind of route to benefit your digestive microbiome health is is through what I call dietary intervention. And that's just making sure that you're kind of getting these kind of proper nutrients. Now, so the difference between pre and probiotics or what we're doing and what kombucha is um, is that prebiotics are basically, they're predominantly fibers. Um, they don't get broken down by the body in a normal way, so they help stabilize blood sugar, but they do get broken down by these kind of beneficial microorganisms that live uh, in your digestive tract, help to grow up those populations. So it's almost like it's consuming the things that help the natural probiotics that already live inside of you. Uh, grow and flourish and um you know what you want is you want a lot of different you want a lot of fiber a lot more fiber than we're getting and then you want a lot of prebiotics and you want a variety of different fibers prebiotics and kind of functional plant ingredients uh so that you can kind of so that your microbiome can can be set up optimally
2: wow got it there's a lot to this and there's a lot of benefits that are in this now let's uh I, I like to watch. I like to watch Shark Tank. And when people come in there and they've got a new soft drink <laughs> or something like that, Mr. Wonderful says, you know, he always says, there's no way I forbid you to do this. You're going to get crushed like a bug. It's a very difficult space. And one of the things he talks about in there is the distribution of this stuff and the logistics. Right. So how is it working there? How what's the difficulties there? Let's let's get a little logistics into here. The logistics of, of what you're doing there and distributing the, your, your product.
0: Yeah, my my pleasure. I mean, uh, it's not inaccurate. Beverage is, uh, which is funny because I'm not actually not naturally, uh, you know, a beverage, like a business person kind of by tr- by training. So, but beverage is definitely business on expert mode. And yeah, there's a lot of different aspects of of the distribution which are incredibly challenging. Um, you know, basically speaking, you've you've got a couple layers to the sales process and the distribution and logistics. Um, enters into kind of multiple pieces of that like obviously the way the way we're set up is we have a pre-production what we call a pre-production warehouse so we receive certain raw ingredients and then we mix them together in certain specific ways to prep them for our co-manufacturer and then other ingredients that you know like juices and some of the other things that we don't need to mix those get shipped directly to our co-manufacturer so between Some of our suppliers and then our pre-production facility, um, a number of different kind of pallets of of raw materials, raw ingredients show up at the co-manufacturer. And basically what the co-manufacturer does is is takes all that stuff, puts it together, you know, tests it, kind of evaluates all the kind of different specs around it, adds carbonated water, and then they end up putting it in in a can pasteurizing it and then boxing it up. So then that creates our finished goods. Then our finished goods goes out mostly full truckloads. At this point, we're like 95% full truckloads out to a range of different warehouses across the country. Um, For uh, when we're shipping from East coast to West coast, we try to do, if we have the lead time is use, uh, is use trains or different kind of, you know, more uh, economical, but also environmentally friendly kind of long-term shipping methods. So for shipping to the East coast, we'll do that. But you know, one way or another, we kind of get pro- finished good product out to these different distribution centers. And then uh, from there, distributors place orders with us, and then we'll set up uh, a shipment from our warehouse to these different distributors, and then they parse it out to all the different stores.
1: Well, is there a, is, di- is this a direct-to-consumer play at all? Do people go on your website and buy you know 12 packs, 24 packs of this soda, or are you mostly relying on distribution through stores themselves?
0: You know, that's actually a really funny question because uh, typically what you'd find for a business like ours, food and beverage, is t- normally about 90 to 95% of the mix would be uh, directly into brick and mortar retailers. Because obviously, you it's a lot of water it, and it, the product kind of is organically built for that type of uh, channel. Now, with COVID, uh, obviously, it's changed everything for everybody. And... We invested really heavily in our direct-to-consumer platform last year, and we've actually been fortunate enough to become one of the kind of, I guess, upstart leaders in the direct-to-consumer space, uh, at least in, in the United States. So right now, our revenue mix is much uh, has a much higher uh, ratio of direct-to-consumer sales. And, and yeah, as a part of that, we have a 3PL uh, and consumers come to our website. They can buy, uh, dip, you know, auto. They can auto subscribe. They can buy twelve packs. They can buy different kind of configurations of products, uh, and then that gets, you know, sent over to the three PL. And the three PL does ship it directly to the consumer's doorstep
2: interesting so when you when you're deciding on flavors and new products how, what's the process there you're just looking to convert traditional flavors i mean you, you talk about you you drank a lot of soda you grew up with having a little bit of a weight problem and then you got into it yeah. so is it the mission to those flavors that you loved as a kid or are you getting into crazy stuff like you know uh key lime cactus uh <laughs> that type of stuff
0: yeah for sure i mean my Key lime cactus actually sounds pretty good. To mm, us. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, definitely the, the goal of this product um, is to make uh, this kind of this healthy offering as accessible as humanly possible. I mean, I oftentimes refer to the product as kind of a bit of a Trojan horse. So the idea is like if you have a actual, um, you know, an actual health issue or health need that exists at an adequate scale. Uh, You know, for example, like average American gets 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day, according to the USDA uh, and hunter gatherers, which are kind of the diets that we looked, looked at to try to figure out like what was the optimal ratio, get like a hundred to 200 grams of fiber per day. So compared to what we were designed to consume versus what we consume, the ratios are are really, really different. And so it's like, there's a, there's a big opportunity to kind of get this product out and actually benefit people's lives. Now you start to look at these kind of relative Industries, you know, you've got kombucha, which you mentioned, which I agree has like some pretty substantial taste issues for most people. Not a surprise. That's a billion dollar industry, which sounds pretty good. Sparkling water is a four billion dollar industry, which sounds even better. Uh, But soda is like a 40 to 60 billion dollar industry just in the ready to drink section. And it's got 90% household penetration. So what we're really looking to do is say, okay, there's a lot of reasons why people love soda. It tastes delicious. Like we grew up drinking it. It's nostalgic. I mean, it's, it's addictive for a reason, right? So uh, our goal is to say, okay, let's meet people where they are. Let's give them something that's an actual viable replacement for the soda that they grew up drinking or that they are trying to switch off of. Let's stick these different health benefits in it. And, you know, every, every can of our products, five grams of sugar or less, um, and typically has nine grams of fiber. So it's, it's full flavor. Feel like you're just drinking your regular soda, but you're kind of getting all these different benefits from it, and you're not getting the sugar, and that's a pretty good trade off.
1: Yeah, no, I've I've had them. You guys sent me some samples, and it's uh, it's only 35 calories. It's it's delicious. You hear fiber? Don't let that scare you off. It's not like it's like tastes like wheat or something like that. Um,
0: but <laughs> it, it tastes it tastes. It's good. soluble fiber. You really can't taste it.
1: Oh, our word of the day is insoluble. Which means that uh, it oh. can't be destroyed. Which is your passion for beverages, or some people's passion for soda. So I'm going to get a point with the production team for working that in here, right. to,
0: in here today. But what's no, there's so- it's, they're soluble and insoluble fiber. They they act differently in the body.
1: Well, beautiful, and I'm glad you set me up for that, so I could get the ollie oop and slam that down. But I got a question for you. So what separates soda from sparkling, like flavored sparkling water? Now, is it like just the the color that you put in it?
0: Uh, it's probably the sugar content. I mean, an average, uh, a can of Coke, a 12 ounce can of Coke is 39 grams of sugar. Um, you know, we just, uh, we're actually about to do a national, uh, exclusive with Whole Foods, uh, and also on online for an orange, cr- an orange cream, like an orange vanilla, which is going to be really, really good. So I was looking at like orange creamsicles and different types of you know products that are out there. You know that that they're like 60 grams of sugar per 12 ounces, which is like you might as well drink a cake, right? that's, yeah. that's a lot of sugar. Um, so I think that I think the biggest difference uh, between a sparkling water, is sparkling waters are typically wa- zero or one gram of sugar. Uh, they usually just flavored with just like a splash of fruit juice or or a little bit of natural flavor, whereas soda is you know chock full of sugar. Or they have the diet version, but then the diet version typically has artificial sweeteners like aspartame and sucralose and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's the it's the flavor profile and it's the either it's either the sugar that's involved or it's the uh, artificial sweetener that's involved. Whereas you wouldn't find that in sparkling water. Well, that's uh,
1: – wait, yeah. but, but Michael, asked one question I did have that you didn't touch on from from Michael's question about the flavors is what goes on in, yeah, the, in yeah. the testing lab over there? Because I think we still want a little bit more color on that. Like how wh- – who's pleasure. the chemist? Is it you? Are you doing I, it in your mom's kitchen? You got a laboratory? How does it work?
0: <laughs> well, I'm 35, so hopefully I'm not doing it from my mom's kitchen anymore. But, uh, you know, I, I actually – so I do have a lab. But with COVID, it's been shut down. So I'm actually making these formulas in my house now. I am the formulator. I've been a product developer for 15 years. Um, you know, it's my third beverage company, so I have, I have quite a bit of a track record here uh, working in this way. But yeah, I mean, my girlfriend wants to kill me because we have uh, all these juice samples and different ingredient samples in the fridge and around the house and like stacked in boxes. And there's like all these heavy duty scales on the kitchen counter. It's like living our our kitchen, kitchen workspace is like one half kitchen one half science lab but it's like you know it's covid i, I can't kind of go into the lab how i normally would have and so uh for the last year i actually have been formulating these new flavors out of my home i mean we there is a kind of you know we are at the place now where we have you know we have we do put out surveys to customers we do ask them for their opinions on what they want to see next and so that that in in kind of recent maybe the last six months that's been building up we've got over three thousand customer you know feedback uh points around that so that's actually been really helpful for us deciding which flavors we actually pursue um but and before that it was kind of just following my nose you know formulating to the formulating kind of what i instinctually thought would be a fit for consumers again just based off my experience and also what i thought i could do a really good job of and and as i played around with stuff what i thought were, were really winning flavors um so it was a little bit more of an instinctual thing in the past whereas now we're getting to a lot of real data but i, I yeah i think that uh what we are really finding is that um uh, it is really these kind of traditional soda flavors that are resonating the most with consumers and uh, that's that's great that's perfect that's exactly what we wanted to do so it's good to see that our ideas is, is getting the kind of traction that we were hoping
2: that's awesome, and SKU management is very, very important in business, especially a business like yours. It you can get out of hand and hurt you pretty bad. Well, before we let you go, I mean, it's 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 quite obvious that your passion is indissoluble, and you're going to keep driving forward <laughs> as 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 hard as you possibly can. But can you let us know what's new and cool with Olipop? Uh, what are the other pro- you have other products, and where do people go to learn more about them and get them?
0: Absolutely. So uh, the, probably the best place to find us is, is just at Uh We're also on Instagram at, at drinkolipop. Um, and what's great about going to drinkollipop.com is obviously there's a lot of education about the product. You can order directly from us. And then there's also a store locator. So we're in about 4,500 stores right now. We're a national, we're a national uh, company. You know, We're Whole Foods. We're in Sprouts. We're in Kroger. We're in Safeway. Uh, you know, we're really branching out kind of in, into both that natural and that conventional sector. So you can find us in a lot of stores. Um, and, you know, right now, especially retailers could actually really use the support. So if you live near a retailer um, that sells our product, go in and uh, pick, pick one off the shelf. I think it's a, it's a great strategy. If you'd rather order it Ah, uh, to your doorstep. That's also a good fit as well, because then you can set up for auto subscribe if you like it, and it's easy just to kind of get it on a regular basis and not think about it. And if they and for play, us, yeah, you. Will, well, hold on a second. But if they go online, not, they, let's not let's yeah. not
1: move. If they go online, and they order, they'll get fifteen percent off if they use the code truck fifteen. That's a special for our listeners, courtesy of you.
0: That's right. right good. Good. Good call on that. Yes, we did. We did make a fifteen a percent off code for for your listeners. It's truck fifteen, uh, which we're happy to do because we really really appreciate you having us on the show. So that would be a great introductory point. We have a we have actually have a variety twelve pack sampler as well. So um, it's a great way to try a range of different flavors, see what you like, uh, and then you can either keep getting that or you can kind of move and 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 just pick up the flavor that you the flavor to you like the most. Um, yeah, and then what's next up? Like I said, we're we are launching. A, a, this is kind of fresh up presses. I think it's the first place I'm actually saying it out loud.
3: But Whoa, we are Exclusive. Rolling out
0: with, exclusive. We are rolling we out an orange creamsicle. Uh, or sorry, an orange cream. They're, I can't call it that. This trademark is used. Anyway, we're calling <laughs> it an orange. It's an orange cream uh, and it's going to be really good. And it's going out to Whole Foods nationally uh, and on our website. Uh, and then we have another really major SKU uh, uh, we're announcing in a, in August or a little in the run up to August, which has been the number one most requested SKU from our or flavor from our customers that's kind of come in organically. And so that was a real pleasure to make and, and will be really great to put out.
1: Well, Ben, thank you again. Thanks for sharing your story with us, telling us a little bit about the logistics and what goes on to making a beverage brand. This was uh it's a very enlightening segment. We appreciate your time.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. And best of luck Thanks, with the
1: cream, ben. and best of luck with the creamsicle. We can we can say it because it's not our product. Best of luck with <laughs> you, the creamsicle. You guys
0: are fine. You guys are fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, all, right. all right. Thanks, fellas. Thanks so much. Have a great day.
1: Take it easy. Well, good stuff. I'm Thanks. thirsty now. I'm thirsty. I need an olipop.
2: I'm looking forward to the orange creamsicle. That 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 sounds really good. Yeah, that, that that <laughs> that's really good. what I'm going for. I wonder what. So what do you what do you think the flavor is that was most uh, uh, requested? Oh well, didn't he Instead say it was cr-
1: it was orange cream? Is that the one that he? No, that
2: no, that's coming out now, and then he's got oh. another one coming out uh, somewhere in the summertime that uh, was uh, number one requested. That he didn't tell us what that was yet.
1: Maybe a tab <laughs> knockoff of, of some sort. That could. <laughs> <laughs> I <can do> it. <laughs> That's it. Flavor. Fried chicken, maybe. Could be fried chicken. Could be. Uh, yeah, there's a company that makes those weird flavors. They have like the Thanksgiving ones, yeah. like cranberry, yeah, and gravy. All right, let's go inside yeah. the newsletter. All right. You guys can subscribe to the What the Truck. You guys can subscribe to. Jeez, what's going on back there? You guys can subscribe to the What the Truck newsletter by going to freightwaves.com slash WTT. Last night, we covered a few things in there. One of them was Amazon and Biden maybe teaming up to deliver some vaccine, uh, to do some yeah. vaccine distribution, some other big tech stepping up. What do you make of this? Do you think this is a good play? Do you think that they're doing this to to get good with the uh, with the current administration and lawmakers? Tech has had a little trouble with them, Michael Vincent. Yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> yeah.
2: no I... I don't claim to be the smartest person in the world and I shouldn't because I'm not. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a play. I think uh, Dave Clark's no, no dummy. Uh, I think it's a play to get in and it also works well with his, uh, with his uh, workers. Cause maybe they get their vaccinations quicker. I mean, you know, it, it, I did, uh, notice, the, you know, I did notice I did notice he my, slipped that in
1: there, right? Dave Clark, the CEO of Amazon's consumer business, who um, right now, as the power structure is, we know that Bezos is, is leaving his position as CEO. But right now, Dave Clark is second in command over there. And what he wrote to the Biden administration was that he wants to uh, get those 800,000 U.S. workers. They should re- receive that vax at the earliest appropriate time. Um, that sounds like a loaded kind of sentence, does it not?
2: Yes, it absolutely does. <laughs> it absolutely does. Well, here's what a- are your thoughts? You think that you think that's what it is? You think it's a power play or play to get in good and try and get his people vaccinated or what?
1: I just you know the, the the more intermediaries you add into something, the more complicated they can make it. I have no question that Amazon would do a great job. But this is also out in a lot of states i t networks, right? The vaccine, it's already being moved in a certain way. So it sounds good. I just hope that Amazon will be able to integrate properly with all that and not not cause a lot more issues. um they've solved bigger problems than this before, so you know i I think they might be able to
2: yeah I th- yeah yeah you're right it, the integration would have to be slow, and maybe at this point it's just a, a additional uh additional capacity. Right. Yeah. Dustin C. in the comments, he says he can't
1: maintain a girlfriend with his uh, mad scientist behavior. Uh, don't know how you do it, my friend. I'm not really sure what Dustin C. is cooking up at his house. Maybe it's Gorilla Glue. You guys all heard this story, right? It was a uh, TikToker, Tesca Teska Brown. And when I first heard the story, I thought it was a young girl. It's not. She's 40 years old. She sprayed uh, that. <laughs> she sprayed the Gorilla Glue. She thought it was a hair care product. She sprayed it in her hair. She's like, you know, this is, you know, a lot of wind outside. This is going to keep it down. Um uh, enough wind to move a frozen turbine in texas apparently with uh, with the gorilla glue but it turns out it's not a hair care product right
2: no it, it's it's certainly it's certainly not uh yeah she stuck it in her hair uh according to the case study by Fasker until 2015 gorilla glue logistics operations. i mean i, I don't know uh, they, she's she's got it stuck in her head uh, what do you do with that Duner? You know, have you ever used it in your beard I have not used it in my beard. I use coconut oil. I use the
1: refined kind so it doesn't have that coconut smell. I think I've talked that about on here before. And the nice thing about it is you can use kind of a lot of it. My skin's dry, so I just rub it. I rub it all over everything. But what I found interesting, Michael Vincent, is whenever I hear a story like this, right, I, I'm like, well, how does that supply chain work? I was curious about Gorilla Glue. I'm like, how many people buy Gorilla Glue? How many people have Gorilla Glue just sitting around? I've bought it once in my life. I don't just have a stock, and I certainly haven't gone like looking for it as a hair care product. Um, but what I was finding out when I was looking at this is that until 2015... What's really interesting is Gorilla Glue, they did not use an ER, an up, they didn't use a modern ERP or warehouse management system. They said that what they were doing at the time with their inventory was visual observation, which means like they just, you know, they eyeballed it. (laughs) <laughs> they eyeballed it. And uh, they did something a lot of supply chains need to do, which is get to speed, because they saw some amazing results, right? Uh, their COO, Rob Lackman, he said, since implementing the WMS in 2015, our percent of sales to labor cost to run our distribution center has gone down despite double-digit growth each year. And now that's significant, Michael Vincent, because as they were growing, they were losing more money on their supply chain. That's a, that's a problem that a lot of companies are facing right now in e-commerce with the shipping costs going up. And what they were able to do is 85% faster f- fulfillment, 65% better efficiency, 99% better order accuracy. Who would think by not eyeballing stuff and using uh, actually maybe a little bit of data and a real inventory system, you might, um, you might have better results?
2: Yeah, I I was going to say, I mean, I'm reading that. And uh, 2015, it took them to figure out they needed a W. They're not alone,
1: though. That's why I I wanted to highlight, because they are not alone. Go check out that What the Truck newsletter. It's always on FreightWaves.com slash podcast, where we keep all the What the Truck podcasts. We also upload it to there. Uh, The other story on here is this Texas mayor. He quit calling the residents lazy and weak among these power outages from the storm. Imagine that this guy quitting. Right, when the going gets tough and calling you lazy, even though you paid your taxes and you're paying the utility company. He said only the strong will survive, only the strong will survive and the weak will perish. And he called you a bunch of socialists. So you're paying your taxes, you're paying the utility company. How are you a socialist? I don't know. Let's get rid of him. Get him out of here. You're done there. I'm glad you quit. Activity. Vincent, what do you got to say? Peace and love.
4: Excellent show.
3: Yeah.